0: It is a joy to be here with you today and we take it very, very seriously if this is your first time and you've accepted someone's invitation to be at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, our Seymour campus here at Greenwood, our online campus, and this is your first time, we want to give you a very special welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you for attending. And for the rest of you who are not first-time guests, welcome back. Brand new series today called Not a Fan. But first, let me just say, aren't you glad it's not... 12 degrees outside right now. I mean, here in central Indiana, we had a rough couple of days. If you're down south somewhere in Florida where it's 80, we hate you, but (laughs) no, we don't hate anybody around here, but we are a little jealous, uh, but thankful for 40-degree weather today. Uh, So, yeah, we're we're excited about this. I'm excited about this brand-new series called Not a Fan. Actually got the idea from this series or for this series from a a group of pastors that I meet with uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, Some of you may know Pastor Mike Wigan from City Life Church. Some of you may know Matt Giebler from Greenwood Christian Church. A couple other pastors. We meet together. We were talking about how could we start the year on the same page. We've never done that as a group of churches on the south side of Indy. And uh, we said, what if we got together, what if we preached the same content or generally the same content and got all, you know, thousands of people kind of on the south side on the same page, churches talk, people talking to each other from different churches wouldn't that be cool and so we decided to choose a topic that we all were kind of familiar with and we all read this book a couple of years ago a couple of years ago called not a fan by Kyle Eidelman he's a pastor of a small church down in Louisville Kentucky uh, called Southeast Christians anybody have heard of it They run about 25,000 people. The book did so well. It sold over a million copies. Read it a few years. Thought it was super challenging. And we're like, hey, did you read that? Did you read that? Yeah, we all read that. So let's all put a series together and and, and just preach it and be on the same page. So that's kind of where the idea came from. So right now... Over at City Life, they're preaching this series, and over at Greenwood Christian, they're preaching this series, which is pretty cool. Um, And so, yeah, so the reason I love this book so much is because Kyle Eidelman, Pastor Kyle, puts his finger on a huge problem for people of faith today. Now, I know not everyone watching today is a person of faith. Um, You're perhaps interested and you're checking Christianity out. Um, And so this is a great series for you actually to come to because you'll get a really good picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ should you decide to do that. For those of us who are or say we're believers, this is a huge problem for us. I kind of put it in my own words in your notes. Check it out. Many people today think that they are followers of Jesus, but... They are just fans. What do I mean by that? Well, we all know what fans are, right? We've all seen crazy fanatical fans, right? Here's a picture of the the super fan from the Colts, right? This guy's all dressed up. He's got his mask, his hat, his belt, whatever he's got on, his gloves. Now, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but we all understand fandom, right? How many of you guys are fans of the Hoosiers? Hoosiers, any fans out there? How about the Boilermakers? Yeah, anybody? Okay, okay, okay. My father in law's last name is Purdue, so you see where I have to, you see what I have to do there. So, um, anyway, um, so yeah, we understand fandom. We, I'm really not a fan of, of teams, I'm, I'm more of a fan of players. Anybody else feel that way? You know, like some of you understand that because when Peyton went to the Broncos, you weren't a Colts, you weren't a Colts fan anymore. You became a Denver Broncos fan, remember that? No, you're not gonna raise your hand? Why? Because you're you know you're 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 a fan of, of Peyton Manning, not necessarily the Colts. That's more where I kind of gravitate towards. But anyway, we understand fandom. There's nothing wrong with being a fan. It's just it's just when it comes to the spiritual life, it could be a really big problem. What am I what do I mean? Well, let me explain fandom a little bit. Fans, they they, they get all dressed up, they've got the gear, they've got, you know, the the you know, all the paraphernalia and the you know, maybe some chains or shirts or whatever shoes. But they're not in the game. You see how that could be a problem in the spiritual life? If you're a fan of Jesus. You got all the paraphernalia, you wear the cross, you got the tattoo, you got the Emmanuel shirt. (laughs) But you're not in the game necessarily. Fans don't play. They just watch. Now this isn't the case with all fans, but a lot of fans are what you would call fair weather fans. You know what I'm talking about? When the team's doing great, yeah, as soon as they start to lose, who are the Colts? I I was never in, I don't know what, and and they step out. Now, now, not all fans are that way, but a lot of times in the spiritual life, that's what people do. I see it all the time. I've been pastoring this church now for 20 years, or I pastor at this church for 20 years. I've seen people come and go. (laughs) When things are going well, they're in church, things go bad, they're out of here. That's the problem with being a fan when it comes to the spiritual life. Fans get to cheer safely from the sideline, but they don't know the pain and the hardship of being at practice every day and being, playing hurt and having bruises and sweating and even bleeding at times. Fans don't experience that. They don't, they don't experience the discipline of what it takes to be on a team and to win games. They're just playing it safe and comfortable on the sidelines. You see how that can be a problem when it comes to the spiritual life? See, fans, this is dangerous for fans when it comes to the spiritual life. Fans know a lot about the players on the field. They, they know their height, their weight, how many touchdowns they scored, how many yards they rushed, how many points they had, how many rebounds they had, how many triple doubles they did, blah, 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 blah right? How many chi- they know all about the players, but they don't, watch this, know the players, do they? See the difference in the spiritual life? In the spiritual life, if you're a fan, you're in real trouble. You know a lot about God. You know a lot about the Bible. You've been to Bible studies. You heard a lot of sermons. But as a fan, you don't know God personally. That can be a real problem. See, Jesus never invited anyone to become a fan, ever. I've read the Bible many times. I just finished reading it through in 2021 again, just started reading it through in 2022 again. I've read it time and time again. There is no invitation to being a fan in this book, I promise you. But yet many people today are fans. What is a fan? A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what a fan is. And many people today are enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. Jesus actually spoke about this and he said some really hard things that a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors don't talk about because it is uncomfortable. You should have heard or seen the nine o'clock service today. There wasn't a beep. Because I started talking about this and people were like, maybe that'll be you today. I'm not sure. At 11, across all campuses. Listen to what Jesus said. This 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 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but... It's not often quoted because it's very challenging and it's very difficult. This is what Jesus said. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, not everyone who says I'm in, not everyone who says I'm a fan, not everyone who says I believe in Jesus will, say it with me, enter the kingdom of heaven, to which we should read that and go, whoa, I wonder if, I wonder if that's me. I wonder if I'm a fan. I wonder if I'm on the sidelines cheering and saying, I'm in. I think I believe. I'm a Christian. If I die, I'll go to heaven. I think I'm a, but maybe not. Jesus says not everyone who claims to be my follower, not everyone who claims to be a believer will enter. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter, to which we should all go, whoa, maybe I'm not in. Maybe I'm not on the team. I'm excited about this series. It's going to be fun. I'm going to mess with you. God's going to mess with you. You're going to be uncomfortable. You are. You're going to email me questions. Some of you are going to email me complaints. That's okay. It's okay. That's all right. That's part of my job. It's my responsibility it's to bother you. I'm excited about this series because some of you are going to realize you thought this whole time you were a follower and you're a fan and it's gonna be hard to get your brain and heart wrapped around that, but it's positive because you're gonna learn how to move from fandom to followership, and it's gonna change your life forever. This series will be the defining moment in your spiritual life. You have been faking and bluffing others and yourself, but you can't fake out God. This is the series where you're gonna get serious about Jesus. That's why I'm excited. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and and you're not a believer in Jesus, this is a great series for you to come to because you're gonna learn about what it really looks like to be a follower. And you can make your decision when the series is over. You'll have absolute clarity about what your choice is. I hope, and we hope, that you'll choose to follow. Why does Jesus have so many fans? Why so many millions and millions and millions of fans? Why not more followers? Well, here's the part of the talk where I take responsibility. It's my fault. It really is. It's my fault. It's preacher's fault. It's pastor's fault. We have not explained this well enough. We have been misleading. I have been misleading people to become fans instead of followers of Jesus. I don't intentionally want to do that. I don't think other preachers intentionally want to do that. It just sort of happens. You say, what are you talking about? Well, we have failed to explain what the Bible means when it says believe. In Jesus. Many of you can quote John 3:16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. Let me show it to you right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, there's the key word, pistio is the Greek word, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And so preachers like me will get up and say to you, come on, believe in Jesus and you'll have an everlasting life. You'll go to heaven when you die. You'll have eternal life. All you have to do is believe. And like a car salesman, we sell it, we sell it, we sell it, we sell it. Believe, believe, pray the prayer, pray the prayer, pray the prayer, believe, believe. And people are like, okay, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So I'll believe. And here's what we mean in preachers like me. This is what we mean, and not intentionally necessarily, but we just don't clarify it enough. Here's what we mean by believe. Mental assent, verbal acknowledgement, or agreement with a set of facts about Jesus, that he died, three days later he rose again, you believe in that, you're saved, you go to heaven when you die. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? And everybody says, yeah, I believe that. In fact, if we polled the whole crowd today, most of you would say, yes, I believe. Based on that definition of belief, mental assent, I agree, verbal acknowledgement, I've said a prayer, and I agree with a set of facts about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he died on a cross for my sins, that three days later he rose again to conquer the penalty of sin and death, and I've prayed that prayer, and I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm in. Are you? You are if that's what the word believe means. The Problem is, that's not what it means. I mean, it does, but it means so much more than mental assent, verbal acknowledgement, or agreement with a set of facts about Jesus. The word believe in the New Testament means follow. It means action. It means to jump in let me let me tell you what i'm talking about so jesus was in the in the new testament he was a rabbi and he would invite people to follow him and when a person decided to follow him or believe in him they would apprentice him what i mean is they would leave their job like james and john like left they were fishermen they left their nets they stopped fishing and they followed there was action involved. And then they started to do what the master would do. They would think like him, act like him, talk like him, treat people like he would treat them. He, they, were, they were, here's the word, with Jesus. They believe, to believe was to follow. So the word means to shift, to change, to change direction, to jump in, to get in the game. That's what the word believe means. And a lot of people are simply not in the game. Because we misunderstood this word, believe. Jesus used the word five times, believe. Believe in me, believe in me. You know what other word he used 20 times? Follow. Follow in, indicates action. That I'm going to follow you and do what you're doing and say what you're saying and act like you're acting and think like you're thinking. Our call today is to follow Jesus. And when we don't follow Jesus, when we, when we just have this thing called mental assent, or verbal agreement or agreement with a set of facts about Jesus, we are simply fans. Listen to how Eidelman says it in the book. When we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, we become nothing more than, say it with me, fans. Why? Because to truly believe is to follow. We have a lot of people out there today, maybe you're one of them, you think you're a believer, you think you're a follower, but actually you're just a fan. And there might be one day where you die, and you face Jesus, and he looks at you and says, I never knew you. Like, I'm looking for your name here in the pages. It's not in here because you were just a fan. I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. So how do we move? How do we move from fan to follower? That's what this series is really all about. Like, how do we change our life? How do we get serious about following Jesus? Jesus. And here what we're going to talk about today is this first thing we have to do. We have to count the cost. We have to be willing to pay the price. You move from being a fan to a follower by paying the price. Now as soon as I say that, people are going to be like, wait a second. All the theology students. I thought salvation was free. Doesn't the Bible say that we're saved by grace through faith and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one should boast or brag. Yes, salvation is free. We go to heaven because Of the gift of grace. You can never earn God's favor. You can never earn your way into heaven. That's absolutely true. We are saved by believing. But the word believe is so important to understand. What is faith? What is belief? Controversial verse in James chapter 2. Martin Luther, the famous German theologian, actually cut it out of his Bible. Faith without works is dead. In other words, there's a type of faith that doesn't save. James would go on to say, Doesn't the devil believe? Let me ask you a question today. Does Satan believe in Jesus? You better believe he does. If we understand belief as mental assent, verbal acknowledgement, and agreement with a set of facts about Jesus, the devil knows who Jesus is, but he ain't going to heaven. Do you agree? There's a type of faith that doesn't save the devil or you. We have to understand that faith is, it, it involves movement. It involves action. It involves change. It involves you getting in the game and paying the price. See, to follow Jesus, there's a price. There's a price. I don't care if you're a middle school student, high school student, 20-something, 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, 60 something something There's a price to pay. What am I talking about? You, you start to follow Jesus. You start to look into the scriptures and see what it says. And it's going, to mess up, it's going to mess up one of your friendships, I guarantee you. You got a close friend. He don't want to follow Jesus. She don't want to follow Jesus. But you do. And now you got this friendship and you're like, ah, I can't do that anymore. I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to drink that anymore. I don't want to smoke that anymore. I don't want to watch that anymore. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I remember when I had, when I first gave my life to Christ, I was 18 years old. Seven, I lost All my friends. All my friends. I can say, what were we doing? We were rolling doobies. (laughs) Like, I like. I learned how to roll a joint in automotive class, and as soon as the instructor would go under the car, we lit it up. I mean, it's just, I was an idiot. Well, then Jesus, yeah, you can't smoke pie. I mean, it's just can't do it. Sorry, mom, my mom's watching. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was not smart. So my friends are like, what's wrong with you? Oh, you got Jesus? Oh. <laughs> well, those friendships started to fall away. There's a cost. There's a cost. Let's say you, you, find you want to follow Jesus and you're in a, a romantic relationship, but you're not married and you're sexually active. And then, gee, you come on the scene and, and the scriptures say that, that sex is for married people. <sighs> really? Really? Now you have to have a conversation with this person that you've been having sex with. are like, yeah, we can't do that anymore. What? Do you go get religion? Yeah, it's just Jesus thing. It's just, it's costing me. Yeah, it's costing you, it's relationship. I'm out of here, you know? It's always a cost, cost. You can, listen, as a middle school student, high school student, you follow, if you get serious about following Jesus, you are not going to be cool. And cool is very important. I mean, look at these shoes I'm wearing today. These are some cool shoes. These are Vans, they're brand new, they're from my son's Christmas present. I feel cool. <laughs> and I guess in a sense, you could get some cool shoes, but in high school, if you follow Jesus, you're not cussing, you're not looking at porn, you're not sleeping with the next one, you're not, you're not doing anything, you're not, you're not laughing at the dirty jokes, you're, you, you, you're not swimming in the stream of coolness. That is the cost, middle school students, high school students, pay attention. College students, that is the cost of following Jesus. There's always a cost. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 14. He's talking about he's talking to a crowd about following him. Listen to what he said. Let's powerful words right from the mouth of the Savior himself. He says, "But don't begin following me." That's the context here. Don't begin following me until you count the. Say it with me. The cost. The cost. It's a massive cost here. It's going to change everything. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if he has enough money to finish the construction? Otherwise, you might complete the, the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. And here's what they would say. Hey, look, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. What a bonehead. Jesus said, look, there's a cost. There's a price to pay. You cannot be my follower unless you want to pay the price. You know, today, people don't want to pay the price, spiritually. No, no. Human beings, I, I study human beings. Not you particularly. I study humanity in general. Human beings like to find the path of least resistance. Are you willing to admit that? I am. We like easy street. How can I get the most with pay, by paying the least? I like the comfort zone. These days, I like soft sheets and Oreo balls. You guys know what Oreo balls are? (laughs) I like them. I like them a lot. I just like comfort. I like my coffee with a certain amount of sweetener in it, brewed a certain way. I like to pay very little price. I like comfort. And all human beings are like that. We don't want to pay, pay a price. Nobody wants to pay a price. Cost, difficulty, hardship, pain. Forgiving somebody, serving somebody. Giving 10% of your money away. Being abstinent if you're not married. If, if you're married, being faithful to one spouse. I mean, come on. These are outdated ideas. Paying the price. I believe this is why Jesus told us to Fast. Have you ever noticed that fasting sucks? I mean, it sucks. If anything sucks, fasting sucks. Can I say that again? Have you ever tried it? Some of you are like, I don't know, what's fasting? Fasting is when you deny yourself food for a a specific period of time for a spiritual purpose. It's awful. I have fasted for three days, terrible. 10 days, awful. I fasted for 21 days one time. I lost 30 pounds. I was 160 pounds by the end of the 21 days. Didn't eat one piece of food for 21 days. Terrible. It's awful. It's torture. Self-inflicted discomfort and pain. And Jesus says, my disciples are going to fast. You ready to sign up? Who wants to follow me? It's like, uh, count me out. He's weird. I'm crazy. He's out. I'm out of here. Now, do you have to fast to go to heaven? No, 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 we're talking, not talking about earning God's favor or earning your way into heaven, but Jesus says if you're gonna be a disciple, you're gonna fast, and fasting is self-inflicted pain. Why would Jesus tell us to do that? Because he, know, he knows our tendency is to look for easy street, the comfort zone, the path of least resistance, and that's not what it looks like to be a disciple. There's always a cost. Most of us are like Nicodemus in John chapter three. In the book, Eidelman talks about this. He does such a good job talking about Nicodemus. Basically, he says in the book, and he's spot on. Nicodemus is part of the the, the elite group of of Pharisees during Jesus' day. They are the teachers of the law. They are the experts, political experts, plus the religious experts. And they were opposed to Jesus. Like they wanted to snuff him out. They wanted to wipe him out. And eventually they did. But Nicodemus, who is a member of this group, he was watching Jesus from a distance, and he's like, you know what? This guy's on to something. He's special. He's healing people. He's blessing people. He's, you know, giving people their eyesight back. His teachings are really pure. And, and so he's sort of this closet believer in a sense. But he can't come out and say it because if he comes out and says it, it's going to cost him his reputation. It's going to cost him his job. He will no longer be a respected teacher in Israel. So what does he do? Well, he does what you and I would do because He's human. He takes the path of least resistance. Watch this. John chapter 3, verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. Why did he come to Jesus at night? Because of the cover of darkness. It's perfect. He can talk to him. He can communicate with him. Maybe even believe in him. And no one would know it because it was under the cover of of darkness. Listen to what Eidelman says. I couldn't say it as well as him, so listen to this. He says, At night, no one would see him. At night, he would avoid awkward questions from other religious leaders. At night, he could spend time with Jesus without anyone knowing about it. If he could speak with Jesus at night when no one was around, maybe he could begin a relationship with Jesus without having to make any real changes in his life. Hello. He could follow Jesus without having an without it having an impact on his job. In fact, his friends and family wouldn't even have to know he talked to Jesus. He could talk to Jesus at night and quietly make a decision in his heart to believe in Jesus. That way, it wouldn't disrupt his, watch this, comfortable and established life. No consequences, no cost. He wouldn't have to pay any price. And then Eidelman says this in the book, that sounds like a lot of fans that I know today. Ouch. How about you? Are you trying, attempting to be a spiritual person without paying any of the cost? That's not an offer on the table. There's always a cost to following Jesus. Always, every time cost you a job, it could cost you a reputation you could get cancelled, you could get labeled a bigot, you could, there's always a cost of following him and standing up for what you believe about Christ as the Savior, it's always a cost Jesus didn't never, Jesus didn't come to take a little get out of hell free dust and sprinkle it over your head he didn't he didn't come with a bunch of tickets, a get out of hell, get out of hell free ticket. Oh, here you go. Believe in me. Don't go to hell. Come on. Come on, come all. No dust. No tickets. You know what Jesus came to do? He came into this world to take over your entire life. Every aspect. That's the offer on the table. So, well, that's a high price. I know. Some of you are gonna opt out. You should. I can't believe you're saying that. You're a pastor, aren't you supposed to want people to come to Jesus? Not unless you're serious. This is serious business. You say, is that you talking or is that Jesus talking? It's Jesus talking. Let's, let's take his words from Luke chapter nine. This is what he said to a crowd. If any one of you wants, that's a key word, what do you want? You gotta decide what you want. Do You want money, you want power, you want pleasure, you wanna look good, you want a nice body, what do, you, what do you want? If anybody wants to be my follower, my disciple, my apprentice, you must, I hate these next words. I hate these next words because it grinds against everything inside of my soul. I like to do things my way. I have a certain way I like to do money and a certain way I think about sexuality, a certain way I, we all have our own ways, right? You have, do you have your own ways? Anybody else? Jesus says, oh, you want to be my follower? You must give up. I can't even say it. <laughs> help me. Help me. Help me all the campuses. Help me say this. You must help me. Give up your own way. Well, I didn't know that was the price. If I have known that was the price of admission, I would have opted out. Another version says, you must deny yourself. In other words, you want to do it one way and you must say no to yourself, which is the whole purpose of fasting, by the way. When you fast from food, you're telling your stomach to shut up. It's a beautiful thing. And if you can tell your stomach to shut up, guess what else you can tell to shut up? Your desire to buy that thing on Amazon. Your desire to click on another porn site and watch—that's the desire. That's the design of fasting. Fasting teaches you to give up the Oreo balls. That's what it does, right there. And then you take up your—and this, this is such an interesting word. Jesus says, "Take up your." Say it with me, your cross which 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 today we would think that's cool you know i've got a cross around my neck you know got a tattoo cross right there crosses like crosses we get crosses every you know cross t-shirts but this but but back then this is an awkward thing to say here's why because it's like saying today take up your electric chair or your syringe with the lethal injection in it that be exciting come follow me grab your electric chair Oh, wow, that's a great offer. I'll be right there. What am I talking about? Well, the cross is an instrument of what? Death. Not physical death. Jesus isn't saying go out and commit suicide and then follow. You can't follow Jesus if you're dead. I mean, he's not talking about that. Well, then what kind of death is he talking about? Death to having your own way. Death to your desires, death to the way you think things should go, death to being selfish. Go out and get your electric chair. and Get it tattooed right on your arm. (laughs) And follow me. And then he says this. If you try to hang on to your life, in other words, if you say no and you just try to keep doing things your way, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. Now, that is not go to heaven when you die because I died on the cross for your sins that's not what that is that is an intense difficult offer that requires a price and the word is surrender when I first gave my life to Christ the first thing that Jesus put his finger on in my life was my mouth my mouth see I could keep my mouth clean at home because my mom she you know she'd smack, the, smack me you know what I'm talking about Anybody have a mom like that? So I couldn't use foul language in front of her. She's like this five free Puerto Rican lady. She's feisty and she used to take her slipper off and smack me with it. Unbelievable, it hurt so much. But at school I had a filthy mouth, filthy mouth. I'd use all the words that everybody uses today. Everybody thinks they're cool today using those words all a lot young kids. We used them back then, whatever. and Jesus said, "See that mouth of yours? It's my mouth. Stop using profanity." I thought I was just going to go to heaven when I die. <laughs> and then you start reading the scriptures and he's like, "No, I'm going to take over your your tongue. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may administer grace to the hearers." Ephesians 4:29. Then he starts to put his finger on my sexuality and lust. He says, "We're going to quit that. We're going to stop that." Then he starts putting his finger on all these other things. like I've come to totally renovate your life. I've come to be the Lord and master of your life. And then he communicated this. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad for this. This all happened 18, 19 years old, 20 years old. Jesus said to me through others and through the spirit, you are not in charge of your life anymore. You make a horrible God. And he was right. So I just said, okay, well then you're in charge of the whole thing. You have say so over my sexuality. You have say so over the language I use. You have say so over how, how I use money and what I buy and how, what, how I handle that. You have say so over what kind of job I get. You have, you have authority over the whole situation. C.S. Lewis helped me to see this when I became a pastor in mere Christianity, listen to these po- <coughs> Excuse me, listen to these powerful words from Lewis. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here or a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill your tooth or stop it or crown it. I want to yank it out. Then he says this, hand over... The whole self. All the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. I want the whole outfit. Turn it over. I'll give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My will shall become yours. Now, does that sound like believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die? That sounds like a total remodel. A total renovation. A total rebuilding of the engine. And that's exactly what Christ wants to do. And that's how you move from being a fan to a follower. Now, how do you get to that spot, this position where you want to do that and you're willing to go all in and get on the field? Well, there's a passage in John chapter six that helped me tremendously. And Jesus is doing this teaching and he's saying some strange things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be part of me. And when Jesus says this, people are like, okay, he's lost it. He's gone. And so watch what they do. Verse 66. At this point, many of the disciples, or you could say fans, they turned away. And they bolted. They departed. They left. Why? Because that's what fans do. It's like, this this ship's going down. Like, he's lost his mind. And I don't want to be part of this anymore. and, And we don't have any food to eat anyway. And let's get out of here. So then Jesus looks at the 12, the posse, his boys. And he says, are you going to leave too? I'm, I'll never remember reading this. I, I'll, I'll never forget reading this. Years and years and years ago, I'm reading this text. I'm like, wow, what a question. Are you going to go too? Things have gotten difficult. You've come across something in the Bible you don't understand. Someone at work is a really smart atheist said, you know, that evil disproves the existence of God. And now you're confused. And and and, and, and uh, 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 are you going to leave too? Are you going to desert because things got a little bit rocky? Or there's some doubt? Peter's answer to this question solidified things in my life. Listen to what he says. I love this. Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom are we going to go? There's nobody else. Yes, what you just said about eating your flesh and blood, that's weird. I don't get it. That's cannibalism, that's awful. But even though you just confused the entire crowd and many of them left you, where am I going to go? There's nobody else. You have the words of eternal life. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One sent down from the Father. So no matter how, you know, bad it looks or confusing it is or the ship's going down or or you do a bad sermon or whatever, no matter how bad it gets, like, where are we going to go? And in my life, when I was 18, I was like, look, I, I've tried to chase after late women, you know, tried to, you know, do, do a little bit of the drug thing. I became the captain of my basketball team, broke the scoring record of my high school. Okay, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Did all that. Uh, been, the, been the cool kid, you know, and showing up. To, okay, okay. What? All of that stuff has left me empty. Where am I going to go? And I was at this point in my life, and, 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 and maybe you're there. I hope you are. And if you're not, you're not ready yet to go all in and pay the price. But I was at the point in my life where it's like, look, even though there's questions I have about Jesus or God, or there's still, you know, doubts, or like, what other options are there? Should I become a Hindu? Should I try Buddhism? Should I go to the Muslim faith? Should I try to become Jewish? Should I try to become a billionaire? Like, what, what, what should I do? What, what are the other options? And in my mind, as I went through all the other options... For a human being to go to, I came up with nothing. We were going to go. You are the best deal in town. And I wrote it like this in your notes. You must believe that Jesus is the greatest show on earth. If there's some other great show out there, like looking good, looking nice, being wealthy, being famous, being an Instagram influencer, blah, 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 blah. If there's something better that you have to give your heart to and your energy to, pleasure seeking, getting high, getting drunk, you know, whatever, respect of your peers, you're not ready yet. As soon as you come to the point where you can say in your heart, like, I got nowhere else to go. Like, Jesus, you're the, best, you're the hottest ticket in town. You are the creator of this universe You are the sustainer of this universe. You are the source of ultimate happiness. From you flows fountains of living water and peace and joy that satisfies like no sexual experience, no drug experience, no alcohol experience. Until you get to the point where you're like, Jesus is the treasure in the field, you cannot pay the price. You will not go all in. It's not worth it. Jesus said this, I read it this morning in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. What's the next phrase? Anybody know? Above all else. Live righteously and I'll take care of everything else. Really? That's the condition of discipleship. That's the condition of a follower. Like the first thing on their mind is to seek the kingdom of God above all my other seeking. To seek Jesus, his kingdom, and what he's doing. And when you do that, not only do you find life and joy and peace, but there's also also a cost to that. It might cost you a job, a friendship, a romantic relationship, your reputation. You might get labeled. You might get made fun of. You won't be cool. Someone might call you a bigot. But there will be a price. Let me ask you a question. Tough question today. What has following Jesus cost you? If you can answer this question like this and say, well, really nothing. It's been great. I prayed that prayer. I'm going to heaven when I die. I haven't had to change much of else. I just lived like any, any, Like I've, nothing's changed. My friendships are the same, everything, you know. My posts on Facebooks are the same. You know, nothing's changed. You might not be a follower. You might just be a fan. An enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. And I'm telling you, that was never the offer. It's not found in the Bible to be a fan of Jesus. So I'm pleading with you as your pastor. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want you to be in this situation where you come to the day of your death and you die. And Jesus pulls out the books to see if your name is listed. And he's looking up your name. And he says, "Uh, not in here. I never knew you. I never knew you. You are a fan, but you are not one of my followers. I don't want that for you. How do you change that? You have to be willing to pay the price. You have to be, you have to get to the point where Jesus for you is the best ticket in town. Now, the good news is, good news is. There are many of you who have chosen to do that. You are not fans, you are followers. By the way, you can be a stumbling, bumbling fan. Uh, follower, sorry. You can. As long as you're trying. As long as you're moving. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's tripping up. I'm tripping up. You're tripping up. But that doesn't mean that you're a fan. You're moving towards being a follower. And the the evidence is your effort to do that. And many people are doing that at this church. And the result has been phenomenal. In 2021, God has done amazing things through you guys. We launched a campus. We saw hundreds of people come to Christ and get baptized. We fed people across the world. And if we continue to do that, if we continue to have groups of people move from being a fan to a follower, which means jumping in the game, serving and giving and being a part of the impact team and doing what followers do, we're gonna make an even greater difference. But before we end today, I want you to see what God has done through Emmanuel Church in 2021 because many of you have moved from fans to followers check out this video and listen to this song God's just getting started he's just getting started he wants he wants to work through you to continue to change this community to see lives change marriages healed people set free from addictions hungry people fed God's changing the world by changing your hearts To follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, means to follow him. To follow him means you wanna be where he is. You wanna do what he did. You wanna think like he thought. You wanna treat people the way he treated them. My question to you today as we wrap up, do you want to follow? Jesus has made a way. He's made a way to remove your sin. He paid the price for your sin. He died on the cross to remove sin, the penalty of sin. He came back to life to cancel it all out. And he invites you to follow. Do you want to do that? Is this the moment where you begin to take your life, your spiritual life, your walk with Jesus seriously? You have to decide that. If you want to do that, you want to become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say a simple prayer of faith. <laughs> and I use that word the way I use the way I use it or described it today, to take action. Faith without works is dead. To move, to be with Jesus. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own. Put your trust in Christ today. Will you pray with me? If you feel led to, if this is something you want to do, if you believe Jesus is the best show on earth, step into this moment. It's yours. Just say this to him Dear Jesus, you're it. You're the greatest thing on earth. You're the greatest thing in heaven. In you there is joy. In you there is peace. Rivers of satisfaction and fulfillment. And so I turn to you today. I pick up the treasure by faith. I believe you made a way. You died on the cross for my sin. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me make me as white as snow I believe in you I trust in you that you came back to life you rose again to give me life and so I embrace you today I choose you today to love you to follow you to obey you to honor you I ask you to renovate my life take over take control and from this day forward help me to honor you with my life it's in jesus name i pray and everybody said amen can we give god glory church amen all of our campuses Banda, franklin garfield Parks, seymour our online campus our microsites hey if you just prayed that prayer we want to put a special gift in your hands we call it our saved box inside this box there's a bible to get you started on your new journey with Christ. Information about baptism, small group, text the word "saved" to 65248. We'll get one of these in your hands at the information desk at your campus. And if you're watching online, text the word "saved" to 65248. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, all of our campuses, we are starting our fast tomorrow, 21 day fast, okay? Starts tomorrow. Here's what a fast is. A little bit of instruction. A fast is denying yourself food for a specific period of time for a spiritual purpose. That's what a biblical fast is. Now, when it comes to food, you got to be really careful. you got to talk to your doctor. you got to understand your body. There's something called a total fast. That's where you deny yourself all food except for liquids for 21 days. That's very serious. You want to consult a physician to see if you're able to do that. If you're not, you could also consider what's called a Daniel fast. That's something where you eat fruits, vegetables, nuts, everything that's natural and you cut out all the other manufactured stuff. That's definitely a healthy option as well. And then there are other types of fast as well, like a media fast, you could do uh, no Twitter, no Instagram. I think everyone would benefit from getting off Facebook. <laughs> I think uh, YouTube, you can do, there are other types of fasts. So you can, like this year, last year, I think I gave up coffee. That was demonic and evil. I'll never do that again. Um, uh, but I am going to give up sugar for 21 days. That's going to be my fast this this year. And so uh, now remember, remember the the purpose of a fast is not to just have pain for 21 days. I mean, that's not the point. The point is to learn how to say no to yourself. If anybody wants to be my follower, let him deny himself, give up his own way, take up his cross and follow me. That is what a fast trains us to do. So with that being said, I'm gonna pray and dismiss everyone right now. Father, we love you. Thank you for this challenging message to be your follower, to trust in you, to know what it really, be- what it really means to believe in you and to have a relationship with you. Help us to move, help us to follow, help us to believe. For your honor and for your glory, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm gonna hand things off right now to the local teams. God bless you guys, see you next week, bring a friend.